Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Sabbath Services from rainy Central California. So let's look at some things today about how we can stay close to God and the relationship that God has with us and we have with God along with the future prospective of eternal life. Let's come to 1 Corinthians 1 and let's see. Now God is doing something that the world can't understand. And sometimes it's a little hard for us to understand. Because when you look at all of the greats in the world and all of the brilliant minds that there are, and then here's God's little flock. And right now, because of circumstances, we are scattered perhaps more than at any time. So what we need to do is this. Remember this one statement. We are the called, the chosen, and the faithful. Okay? So you have to put those three together. The called, you must answer the call. When you answer the call and are baptized and receive the Holy Spirit, you are chosen. Then we have to remain faithful all the rest of our lives. So the called, the chosen, the faithful. But let's see who God chooses. Okay. Let's come to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that there are not many who are wise. Well, that's true, especially as the world is concerned. Because whatever, let's also understand this, whatever we understand about God's word, he has given us the understanding through his word and through his spirit. Because some of the wisest people in the world can read the Bible and they conclude it's full of lies when it's actually full of truth and the plan of God in a mystery that they can't understand, okay? Not many wise according to the flesh, not many who are powerful, not many who are high-born. Rather, here's what God has chosen. God has chosen the foolish things of the world so that he might put to shame those who are wise, like I've said in the past probably quite a few times. When you look out at a whole group of all the saints and you tell them, you're going to rule the world under Christ. Now, if we had a whole staff of the smartest people from the smartest universities in the world, and we invited them in and, and we said, I want you to meet the future world leaders. 
they would laugh us to scorn. But look at what the wise have become because of their sins. We read that recently. Professing themselves to be the wise ones, they became the fools. Okay? Rather, God has chosen the foolish things of the world so that he might put to shame those who are wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world so that he might put to shame the strong things. Okay? Because with Christ in us, we can overcome every one of these apparent difficulties. And another thing that's important, we become relying on God the Father and Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, so we're not relying on our own judgment, but rather the Word of God and His truth. And so the rich and the mighty, they rely on their own judgment, plus Satan leads them. Now that's quite a thing, isn't it? Okay. Continuing. And the lowborn of the world, the despised, has God chosen, even the things that are counted as nothing. So if you think just because you're alone, or because it's hard to get together with the brethren, remember Christ in you, God the Father in you, and we'll see that a little bit later, okay, is greater than the numbers of people. Okay. And look at how many times God dealt through one man. Many times. And who is the one man to take away our sins? Jesus Christ. Okay. All right. In order that he might bring to nothing the things that are. Okay. So that no flesh might glory in his presence. Now think about that for a minute. Think about what happened to Job and all he went through. And his sin was, even though he kept all the laws of God the way that he should and everything he did was what God said to do, he accredited all the ability to himself. So God had to teach him that self-righteousness is not going to do what God wants because all the power and praise and honor and glory go to God. So after God got done talking to him and telling him, unless you become like God, you're completely helpless. So what did Job conclude? He said, now I know that no thought can be withheld from you. Right. Therefore, I repent in sackcloth and ashes. Okay. So the whole, the whole point God wants with all of us 
is to stay repentant to him and rely on him because he'll give us his spirit and he will lead us and he will help us. We'll see that in a little bit. Verse 20, but you are of him in Christ Jesus, who has made to us wisdom from God, even righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, the one who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Now, further and beyond that, God wants us to know and understand his plan. And one of the most miraculous things about the Bible is this. His plan, called a mystery, is hidden within the pages of the Bible and his laws and his commandments. And anyone who refuses to keep them or to believe his word will never understand what God is doing. That's why the wise of the world can't know. All right? You take this Bible, take it back to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, and gather a whole bunch of the leading scientists and tell them, I know that you have discovered many, many things and many inventions and you've done a lot of things, but I want to tell you that I have a book here that will tell you what you really need to know, why you were born, where you were going, what you're going to do, what God is doing, and how he is doing it. Would you like to have a copy of the book? They probably all say yes. So then you have an attendant over here with a whole stack of Bibles. (laughs) And you say, all right, I'm going to give you the one single book in the world that has all that you need and give them the Bible, each one. Now, Do you suppose that they might begin to understand? No. They would probably scoff, walk out, curse you to your face. All right. So let's come to chapter 2 and read something here. Chapter 2 and verse 6. Now we speak wisdom among the spiritually mature, however it is not the wisdom of this world, nor of the rulers of this world who are coming to nothing. Now, wouldn't that be interesting in that meeting with all of these great MIT professors and inventors and all of that and tell them, you're coming to nothing? Ah, they might come up and kill you. Okay. <laughs> Rather, We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Now, how do you understand a mystery? God reveals it. But he doesn't reveal it in a certain book, in certain verses. He puts a little here, a little there, and so forth. And he takes the most obvious thing that they all reject. Actually, two. Number one, 
his word, and number two, Jesus Christ. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom that God foreordained before the ages for our glory. Now, how valuable is the knowledge of God to each one of us? Because, you see, the key becomes the Sabbath and the holy days, the word of God, and all of that. So, though things all around us, especially nowadays, look really difficult, don't be discouraged or get down because God is with you. Okay. Remember remember what, what God told Elijah, or Elisha rather, when there was an attack coming upon the Israelites, and the attendant of Elisha said, well, we need to get out of here. And he said, no, there are more for us than against us. And God, he asked God to open his eyes so he could see, and there was a whole host of angels out there ready to do battle against the enemy. See? So never think just because you're alone that God has abandoned you. That's not true. Because we'll see God's dwelling place is within us by the power of his spirit. Okay? Verse 8 which none of the rulers of this world has known. None of them. Remember the lesson of Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold? Okay. You read Daniel, the fourth chapter, especially the end, where Nebuchadnezzar repented. Okay. After seven years of being like an animal, eating grass with the cattle. And you can imagine what he looked like after that. <laughs> okay, okay. Has known, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but according as it is written, the eye has not seen, nor the ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things. Now listen carefully to this. The things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now that phrase tells us an awful lot, doesn't it? Now a little later, we're going to talk about the glory of God and some of the things that he has that do not appear glorious, but in certain ways can, can reveal the glory that God has put in it. Now in our meeting hall here, we have six pictures on the wall. And those pictures are pictures of sand, just regular old sand, white sand, black sand, brown sand, red sand, and it's magnified 2,500 uh, 2, times, okay? And guess what? That which appears to be nothing is filled with glorious colors. Now, a little later, we're going to show you something that's going to be astonishing. Now, 
We won't be able to show you on this presentation, but we will have our editor, Randy Vild, splice them in at the right point when we get there. Okay? So you'll have to wait until it's put online. Okay? To those who love him. Okay? What is the love of God? For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Okay? Who love him? Okay, we'll, we'll expand on that a little later too. But God has revealed them to us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men understands the things of of man except by the spirit of man which is in him. In the same way also, the things of God no one understands except by the spirit of God. Now that is a profound statement, see. Because you can't search it all over to find it. God has to open your mind to it in his word through his spirit. And what did Jesus say of, of the word of God? He said, the words I speak to you, they are what? Spirit, and they are life. Now, just like the, the sand that looks like what you would just sweep up and throw out if you found it in your house on the floor, right? Okay. The same way with us. We're like that sand. And what are we made of? The dust of the earth. And the only difference is God has called us. He has chosen us. And if we're faithful, we will fulfill the plan of God. And we will see that that glory is going to be absolutely marvelous. Now, verse 12. Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, because there is a spirit of the world, and that is the spirit of Satan, the devil. And he's going to come on strong with everything that he can do at the end time, as we find in the prophecies of the book of Revelation and the other prophecies in the Old Testament that tie in with it. And it's going to be quite a time indeed. But the spirit that is of God that we might know the things graciously given to us by God. Which things we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Holy Spirit in order to communicate spiritual things by spiritual means. Now that's quite a thing indeed, isn't it? Okay. Let's see what else. Let's see what else. Okay. Now, we all, in answering the call, we have to be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. Now let's come to First Peter, the first chapter. Okay. First Peter, the first chapter. Because as you know, receiving the Holy Spirit is the most important thing that can happen in our physical lives. And we must, we will see, 
grow in grace and knowledge in a little bit. Because if we're to be the wisdom of God to the world, we can't do it in the flesh. We have to be raised and changed and transformed into the sons and daughters of God as spirit beings. See? And this is what we need to keep focused in our minds on the called, the chosen, and the faithful. Okay? So let's pick it up here. First Peter, the first chapter, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the elect strangers who are in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the predetermined knowledge of God the Father. Okay? Chosen because of repentance. By sanctification through the Spirit. You receive the Spirit, and that sanctifies you. Okay? Now, the Holy Spirit, God wants to work with us with our spirit. Now our spirit as the Spirit of God united with it. Okay. Now he wants us, it, we will see, to grow, to develop, and use the Word of God for that. Okay. Let's go on here. Unto sanctification through the Spirit, unto obedience... And sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now that's what we want from God. Grace and peace. So that even in difficult times you can have the peace of God. Okay. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. Now, we know that the Bible teaches us that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's your physical life. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Okay. Who was the firstborn from the dead? Christ. Okay. So, no one have been born again except Jesus Christ. He was the firstborn of Mary in the flesh, and he was the firstborn from among the dead when he was resurrected. Okay. That's why we're begotten us again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible. Think of what it's going to be. An undefiled, unfading, reserved in heaven for us. Okay? And Christ has to bring that. And when the resurrection takes place, then all of these things will become apparent. Okay? Who are being safeguarded by the power of God through faith, that's why we need faith every day. Okay. For salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. Okay. Now come over here to chapter 2. Let's pick it up here in verse 3. 
If you yourselves have indeed tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as to a living stone. Now remember how many times Jesus brought out that he was that cornerstone that the builders rejected. Okay. All right. A living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious, and you also are living stones. Now that's interesting, because you're going to see something about living stones a little later. Are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay? So then verse 6, he says, And for this reason, it says in the Scriptures, Behold, I place in Zion the cornerstone chosen and precious, and the one who believes in him shall never be put to shame. So there we have it. That's quite a thing. See? Okay. Now, Let's come to Psalm 8. Let's come back here and see what it says about us. Okay, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Okay. Now, that's another thing that in praying, we need to understand and, and let the Spirit of God lead us to understand and grasp what God has done. That he is almighty, he is all-powerful, he has grace and love and truth and righteousness, and he's called us to have his Spirit, to be in his kingdom, and he's called us so that collectively— when all of the saints down through all time are resurrected, then we're all going to be organized to take over the world. And in the first resurrection, that will always be a special category in the plan of God. And the firstborn or the first fruits are always that which is dedicated holy to God. That's why we've been called, okay? So then he says here, verse 2, out of mouths and babes and sucklings you've ordained strength because of your adversaries to silence the enemy and the avenger. Okay. Verse 9, when I consider the heavens, now we're also going to see some things from the Jack Webb. We showed them once before, but it's good to see it again. The Jack Webb telescope. Something that reaches out, they claim, 13 billion light years. And it's astonishing what is out there in the heavens. Now, those in past generations of Christians have never been able to see those and have never been able to see the colors in stones, which is also going to be quite a thing because we're to be what? Living stones, right? Okay. And we're to have glory, correct? 
All right. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Man or woman? Okay. God is mindful of them. And God has a great plan, as we know, that even later on in his plan, that even those who figured there was no hope for anything, and they died knowing nothing about God, well, God's going to raise them, we know, what is called the second resurrection. And think what a time that is going to be. Okay? So he asked the question, what is man that you're mindful of him? Well, think of that for a minute. How did we get where we are today? The called, the faithful, and the chosen. The called, the chosen, and faithful. All right? You are. And the son of man, that you care for him? Now, notice verse 5. This is one of the most astonishing verses in the whole Bible. The King James and other translations translates it, angels. But the reality of it is, as I'll read it, verse 5, for you have made him a little lower than God. Think about that. It says in Genesis 1 that he made us male and female, right? In the image and likeness of God, given us free moral agency, given us minds that we can think, that we can do, plus he's given the whole world to all of mankind as a place to live, to work, and to all the things in, in their lives. That's an amazing thing. And made in the image of God. See? And to understand the great power of God that he has is to realize that every single human being other than Adam and Eve are formed in the womb. And that's quite a thing. So look at it this way. Okay? Just as a child is formed in the womb, and God put everything in there so that it would be a complete human being. But needing a mother and father because it needs to grow. Okay. Needs to be taught. Needs to know what is right. And all babies are sweet and innocent when they're born. And some of them you wonder, well, what happens in their lifetime that they turn out the way that they've turned out? Well, that's because it depends on the parents and whether they know of God or not. All right. You have made him a little lower than God and have crowned him with glory and honor. Now, that's true in the physical realm. Certain things that we have, certain things that are glorious, certain things that whatever it is. But that's also prophetic at the resurrection, okay? Because at the resurrection, then we are going to join the spiritual family of God 
as the Spirit's sons and daughters of God. See? That's the whole plan. Now, verse 6. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. Okay. The whole earth. The whole earth. See? Now, just before we began services today, a little sidebar here. Do you know where the scripture is that says that it's that God intended men to drill oil out of the ground? There's one verse which says it. Okay? You can write it down and read it later. Okay? Deuteronomy 32.13. The little sidebar and the sidebar. The green movement is a lying fraud to enslave all of mankind to Satan the devil. All right? Now, let's go on and see some other things that, that God has, has done for us and shown us and what we need to do. Okay, now let's come to Colossians 1. And this tells us how God is going to, going to do it. And it's quite a thing, really. So this is why when we talk about prayer and study, this is why we need to really do that. Because God is working with us with his spirit. And the more we study, the more we learn. Now, we have the whole Bible on audio, on CDs, and for those of you who do a lot of driving, you can, you can put them into your player and listen to the whole Bible from one part of it to the other, everything in the faithful version. Colossians, the first chapter. Pick it up here in verse 13. Colossians 1 and verse 13. Who has personally rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us unto the kingdom of the Son of his love. In other words, we are no longer just in the world. We have, we'll see in a minute, Christ in us. Now that's the greatest thing that can happen. And in our relationship with God, to draw us to God the Father in Jesus Christ. See? So that every day through prayer and study, we have fellowship with God. Now think about that for a minute. See? And think about it this way. You have been begotten again by God the Father. See? Not just a religion. And the more I watch TBM and, and Daystar, the more you can see that they are of this world. And that is a false gospel that they preach, even though they read some things in the Bible. So you've got to come to God his way. Giving thanks to the Father who has made us qualified for the share of the inheritance of the saints in the light. God the Father is the one who does it. See? You can't earn it. You can't buy it. 
You can't tithe for it. Okay? It has to come by your love to God and obedience to God and letting God the Father help you grow in grace and knowledge. Okay? Who has personally rescued us. God himself. Now, that's translated that way because the word rescued is a middle voice participle or verb, which means the subject is also the object. So God has done this for us, for his plan, for his family. Okay. Personally, himself, because the Spirit comes from the Father as a begettle. And this is what our new life is. It's just like a newly conceived infant in the womb of its mother. Okay? And the birth will be resurrection. That's why we are called the church of what? The firstborn. Okay, amazing how all of this comes together. Rescued us from the power of darkness, that's Satan the devil. And we need to be saved from Satan the devil because he is slick as can be. That's why all of us as elders as well, especially, we need to really stick with the word of God the way that God wants it preached and taught and interpreted according to rightly dividing the word of God. See? Let's go on. In whom we have redemption through his own blood, even a remission of sins, who's the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. Now we won't see that's the firstborn from the dead because All of those who are going to be born at the first resurrection are now being created in Christ Jesus through the power of God's Holy Spirit within us in our minds, see? And it says in Galatians 4, Paul says, I feel endangered about you until Christ be formed in you. Okay? And then he says in Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So that's what it means to grow in grace and knowledge. Put it all together, okay? Because by him were all things created, the things in heaven, the things on the earth, the visible, the invisible, whether there be thrones or lordships or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Okay? And he is before all, and by him all things subsist. He's the head of the body of the church. See? And this is what we all need to understand, especially all the elders. Christ is the head of the church. And we are all stewards to serve God and the brethren. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. There it is right there. That interprets the other verse ahead. 
being the firstborn of all creation, so that in all things he might hold the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Boy, what an example that that is, see? And everything about his life. All right. Well, let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll come back in 20. Now let's continue on where we left off in Colossians, the first chapter. And we will see the kind of relationship that God wants with us. And it is fantastic indeed. Let's pick it up here, Colossians, the first chapter, and pick it up in verse 19. Colossians 1, verse 19. For please the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether the things on the earth or the things in heaven. Okay? Well, that's what he wants, see? And that's the whole reason why Christ came and came the way that he did in the flesh that he came so that he could become that perfect sacrifice. Then verse 21 says, For you were once alienated and enemies in your minds by wicked works, but now he has reconciled you. Now that's quite a thing, isn't it? Quite a thing. Think about it. When you're out here in the world like the world is right now, they are enemies of God in their minds. Let's read on. He has reconciled you in the body of his flesh through, through death to present you. Now notice what he wants from us to be presented to God, okay? Now remember, Hebrews, the second chapter says that at the resurrection, Jesus is going to stand right in front of all the resurrected saints on the sea of glass, and he's going to say to the Father, Behold, me and all the children you have given me. What's that going to be like? Now, that's why there's got to be the sea of glass. We've got to be organized. We've got to, know, have got to know what we're going to do, where we're going to go, how we're going to rescue the world. Okay. Now, notice. In the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy, unblameable, and unimpeachable before him. What a marvelous thing that's going to be. Okay. Now notice the next word, verse 23. Two letters. If. If indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel 
which you have heard and which was proclaimed to all the creation that is under heaven of which I, Paul, became a servant. Now I'm rejoicing in my sufferings for you because he could see what happens when they get converted and really draw close to God. And I'm filling up in my flesh that which is behind of the tribulations of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a servant according to the administration of God that was given to me for you in order to complete the word of God. And we have it right here. Isn't that amazing? Think about this. There is no other book that goes so far back in history as the Bible that has as much of it preserved as the Bible has had preserved. Not even the great philosophers of Aristotle and Socrates and Pythagoras and so forth, okay? Verse 26. Even the mystery that has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints, to whom God did will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See? That's how God does it, with his spirit. Okay. Now, let's look at some other things. Let's come to John, the 14th chapter. Because this becomes important, because the one who is the great ruler of the universe, the Father, and his resurrected Son, Jesus Christ, have done something so very special in each one of our lives, because we're the called, the chosen, and the faithful, that we now have this tremendous blessing that we're going to read about here in John 14. See? None of the rest of the world has it. And they don't even know about it. And those who think they know of the Holy Spirit don't understand it. See? And what it's supposed to do in our lives. So here, John 14, verse 15. John 14 and verse 15. So here's this little word again, if. All right? That's important because we still have choices. And every day we must choose the way of God. And that's why we must have every day heartfelt prayer and study. And then when we have circumstances necessary for it, we need to fast. So we draw close to God. And don't get carried away in our own vanity. See? Verse 15. If you love me. Now that being conditional. What are the conditions? It's not that you feel something in your heart and you're all emotional. That could be good if you follow through with what you need to do. If you love me, keep the commandments, namely, my commandments. And remember, he was the Lord God of the Old Testament. 
See? And so those are his commandments too. Now, as I recommended here recently, and I hope you've been doing it, study all through Psalm 119 about the commandments, about the laws, about the precepts, about the understanding of God right there, okay? Everything. I love your law. Your law is the truth. Your commandments are the truth, okay? Now we're going to learn something about truth here in just a minute, which is important because God is calling us where we have a deceitful mind and desperately wicked above all things. That's the carnal mind. And God is going to convert that to the mind of Christ. Now, you talk about a work, but that is a spiritual work. And our part is to yield to God and to pray and to study and grow and overcome. Now notice verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will send you another comforter, that it may be with you throughout the age, long as you live. Okay. And for the church, the Spirit will always be there with those who are baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. All right? Verse 17, even the spirit of the truth. Now that's important because the only way you get rid of lies is what? By replacing the lies with truth. Right? Now, since it's the spirit of truth, that helps us understand why false doctrine or false interpretations will never work because they're not of the truth. Okay? Now, you can see this if you watch the religious channels. They have a certain amount of it, but it's, it's, it's like Paul wrote of. There's a veil over their eyes when it comes to reading the Old Testament. And also there's a blindness over their eyes when it comes to reading the New Testament and that blindness comes from Satan, the devil. Okay, So you have those three things against you. You have a blindness at the reading of Moses. You have the deceitfulness of the heart. Desperately wicked, number two. And the blindness of Satan, the devil. All three of those work against the rest of humanity to not understand what God is doing. So that's why being the called, the chosen, and the faithful is important because of having your sins forgiven, Christ in you, and the spirit of truth. Okay. Now notice what he says. Even the spirit of the truth which the world cannot receive because it sees it not, or perceives it not, rather, okay? You don't have to see it to receive it. But you can't see the Spirit. That's what God does when the innermost part of our minds with his Holy Spirit, to unite with the Spirit of man that we have. Now, we have been begotten by the Father. Now are we his children. 
now, then God is dealing with us in a special way. Let's see what that is right here. Cannot receive it because it perceives it not, nor knows it, but you know it because it dwells with you and shall be within you. Now that's something. That is a dividing line between the called, chosen, and faithful in the world. The Spirit of God in us. Then he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world shall see me no longer, but you shall see me. Because I live, you shall live. Now imagine what that was like when they all were all gathered there on that wave chief offering day after Christ ascended to the Father and came back. And all of a sudden, here they're all, they're all in a room there, okay? And those two disciples came back and said, we saw the Lord, we saw the Lord, he ate with us. And then all of a sudden, boom! Jesus is standing in the middle, right there in the room. Now think how they felt. Because they all saw him die. They all saw him hang on the cross. They all saw that he was put into the tomb. Okay? And some of them didn't even believe when Mary Magdalene said that Jesus was raised from the dead. Okay? The only one who believed was John when he went down to see in the tomb when he saw the claws laying there probably in the form of his body when he was wrapped in the linen, and then a napkin he had on his head would fold it up and put in another place. Now, you know that he had to be alive when you saw that, if you were John, which he did, because napkins don't fold themselves, right? Isn't that right? Now, all of you women would be very happy if all your laundry would fold itself, right? <laughs> but it didn't, so that showed that he was alive. So he appeared to them. He said, you will see me. Then he says, verse 19, Yet a little while the world shall not see me, but you shall see me. Because I live, you shall live also. In that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Now, this is what we need to know and understand and really keep in mind, see, especially in the days that we are living in. See, we can't get wrapped up in the world. All of their troubles are going to come home. Remember Reverend Wright, the, the, fam the infamous Reverend of Barack Obama, and he made the statement, and he said, of America, and all the chickens are coming home to roost. Remember that statement? <laughs> well, in that he was correct. Okay. Now notice how important the keeping the commandments of God is. Verse 21. The one who has my commandments and is keeping them, that is the one who loves me. Okay? If you flip it the other way, the one who does not keep my commandments does not love me. Okay. 
And that's the big fault of establishment Christianity. They want the unconditional love of God, but God's love is not unconditional. There is an if, you see. But they never tell you how to love God back. And they never tell you to keep the commandments. Now, a little sidebar. I've got a clip of Jonathan Kahn calling President Biden to account for signing the so-called Respect of Marriage Act. And I'm going to analyze it, and I'm going to show you that as powerful as that was, and you could feel the power that he had with it, that it was a worthless call to repentance. Now, a lot of people can't understand it or discern it, so I'm going to have part of it played, then I'm going to show why he's missing the mark. Now, one thing would be very important. It makes you wonder what happens with men like Jonathan Kahn and why they never really come to the truth the way that they should. All right, I'll leave it there. All right, verse 21 again. The one who has my commandments and is keeping them, that is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me shall be loved by my Father. So don't think you're unwanted, you're unloved, and no one cares for you because you're alone. God the Father and Christ are with you all of the time. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. See, because God does love you, all right? So Judas Iscariot, he, he was mystified. He, he said, how's that going to be? And you're not going to show yourself to the world. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Now that means his whole message. And the Protestants ought to read Mark 2.27. The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The day they hate, Christ says he's the Lord of. Think of that. And yet they say they're worshiping God. They don't have a clue. Verse 23 again. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Always remember that God the Father does love you, and so we'll see in a little bit how we are to love God back. And we will come to him, and we will make our abode with him. That means God, with the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and Jesus Christ, both are dwelling in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. See? 
That's what's so important. That's the whole key to our relationship with God. Now, verse 24, he reiterates it again. The one who does not love me does not keep my words. All right? And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now, that's quite a thing indeed, okay? Let's come to 1 John, the first chapter. Let's see how John expands this, okay? And how he shows that our calling and our being chosen and being faithful with God the Father and Jesus Christ means that we what? We'll see in just a bit. We have direct access to God the Father. Okay? We'll look at that in just a minute, how he expresses it. So what he's saying here is very important. First chapter, verse 1. That which was from the beginning the one who commanded everything to come into existence, okay? That which we have heard. And they heard all the words of Jesus and everything that he preached wherever he went, and they were with him. That which we have seen with our own eyes, and we have observed for ourselves. Now, observe means to carefully scrutinize. Everything that Jesus did. Okay. That which we observe for ourselves and our own hand handled concerning the word of life. That amazing. When he appeared to them, he let them handle him. Okay, little sidebar. A spirit being can appear as flesh and bone not flesh and blood, doesn't need blood. Now, there are some people, even in the church of God, who believe that when we're resurrected, we're going to have to be flesh and bone. But that's not true. However it will be, we will be glorious, we will be spirit beings, but when we appear to other human beings, those we're going to be teaching and ruling over in the kingdom of God, we will appear to them as flesh and bone. Why? Because a human being cannot be in the presence of a God-spirit being and live. Okay? So if there's anybody out there preaching that doctrine, I tell you in the name of Christ, you better stop. For the life was manifested, and we have seen, and we're bearing witness and reporting to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we're reporting to you in order, now listen carefully, in order that you may have fellowship with us. For the fellowship indeed in other words, the whole purpose of fellowship is because of this. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his own Son, Jesus Christ. Okay. Now that's something. 
Okay? Now, hold your place here, because we'll come back. Let's come to Ephesians, the second chapter. All right. Let's begin right here in verse 1. Now, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Without the Spirit of God and living in the world, and you have all your sins and trespasses, you're as good as dead. In which you walked in time past according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that spirit that is now working within the children of disobedience. And we're certainly seeing that right now. Satan working in so many people and through so many people, and they're, they're, they want to change everything. Because it's Satan, the devil's rule. Okay. Now notice, among whom also we once had our conduct in the lust of the flesh, desiring the things willed by the flesh and by the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as the rest of the world. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, calling us, okay, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he has made us alive together with Christ, that is, through repentance and baptism. For you have been saved by grace. Okay. Now, grace means unearned, unmerited favor and grace and status with God. And to have the Spirit of the Father and the Son in us, like he said there in John, the 14th chapter, that's the greatest grace. Now, in addition to that, we have the grace of God, so when we pray, God hears us. God answers our prayers. God strengthens us. God gives us what we need so we can live in the world and stay close to him. That's an amazing thing compared to what it was in the world when Satan the devil had a hold of us, right? Among whom also we once had our conduct and the lust of our flesh doing the things willed by the flesh and by the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even as, even as the rest of the world. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ, for we have been saved by grace. And you have been raised up together and caused us to sit together in heavenly places with Christ. Now, that's a prophecy. We're not yet there, okay? But we will be, all right? So that in the ages that are coming, that's when it will be. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Okay? Now that's something. Why did God call us? I mean, he didn't call us because we were important. He called us because we cried out to him in our time of need. 
And we answered God's call. Okay. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this especially is not of your own salvation, that is your own works. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are, now notice, his workmanship. God is creating in us through his spirit and working in us. That's why Christ in us is the hope of glory. That's why Christ being formed in us is what is going to take place. And that's why we are told to let the mind of Christ be in us. We are his workmanship. God is currently working with each one of us. That is the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds. See? That is the greatest thing that there is. See? We are his workmanship created, now that means being created, in Christ Jesus under good works that God has ordained beforehand in order that we might walk in them. Okay? Now that's quite a thing. See? Let's come back here to, to uh, Matthew 22. Here's how we are to respond to God, not only keeping his commandments, but everything needs to be based on the love of God. God's love for us and our love for him. You can't have one without the other. See, Those two must be together and with the spirit of God. See, And so here's, and you know where I'm going, but let's look at it this way. Do you include in your prayer every day, oh Lord God, help me to love you with all my heart, mind, and soul, and being? Do we? That's important because that only comes from God. But we have to have our part intricately involved and knitted to that that God has given to us, see? Okay. So they always have the argument, which is the greatest commandment, all right? Verse 37, Matthew 22. Jesus answered him and said, you shall. Okay. What does that mean? Is that a suggestion? No, that's a commandment. Are these the words that Jesus has spoken? John 14, yes. If you love me, you, know, you will keep my words. Here it is. You shall love the Lord your God. Now notice, there are no reservations. There is nothing else in between. With all your heart means all your emotions, you see. And with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. Everything else comes from that. Okay. Second is, love your neighbor as yourself. Now notice verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's how we are to love God. Now, how is God going to respond to us in if we do that, 
and couple that with study. Let's come back here to Hebrews, the 10th chapter, all right? Because God does something very important, because Christ is dwelling in us, the Father is dwelling in us, that's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what happens to us spiritually when we yield to God, okay, and stay close to God? And we have every day we pray and every day we study. Why is that? Because all eternity is ahead of us and we want to be there, okay? Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Let's pick it up here in verse 14. Hebrews 10 and verse 14. So here is what is actively happening within our minds to bring us the character and understanding of God. Okay. For by one offering he has obtained eternal perfection for those who are sanctified. That's us. The called, the chosen, the faithful. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after he had previously said, This is the covenant that I will establish with them after those days, says the Lord. I will give my laws. Okay? I wonder why the Protestants don't read this very much. Because they say the law had been done away. Far from being done away, where is it being put? Okay? I will give my laws into their hearts and inscribe them into their minds and their sins and lawlessness I will not remember ever again. Now we'll finish and we'll come to Philippians, the third chapter. And here's what God is going to do. Philippians, the third chapter. Here is the whole goal. Now when we're done with this, we're going to see a clip about the 12 stones that are listed in Revelation 21, which will be the foundational stones of New Jerusalem. And that no other stones are like this. Okay. So here's what God is going to do. Philippians 3, verse 20. But for us, the commonwealth of God exists in the heavens from where also we are waiting for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our vile bodies to be conformed to his glorious body. Glory. What does it say in Daniel, the 12th chapter, will shine like the stars? What does it say in Matthew, the 13th chapter, that the righteous shall shine as the sun? That's glory, see? According to the inner workings of his own power, whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself. So now, I'll give the clue to Randy. Because he's going to edit this. And this will be up online by Thursday. So you can see 
the marvelous thing that even in rocks, precious stones, God has put glory and honor. And then we'll follow that up with the James Webb two-minute clip of what is it like 13 billion light years away. New Jerusalem, it said, is built made up of 12 precious stones that we would make into jewelry now. Now, here's the fascinating thing, which to me is the final proof that that book is the Word of God, that it must be God-inspired. In the last generation only, we've discovered how to make purer light than we had before. Most light is bouncing around, waves crashing into each other, going in all directions, so that the light coming from that spotlight still lights this side of my face by reflecting off that that tinsel up there. Um, We're used to light coming at us from all directions. But we've now discovered how to send light in one direction. Laser light is the most common. You've seen laser light beams straight as a die. But we've also got what we call cross-polarized light. A polarized filter, if you can imagine, allows light through like that. But if you put another polarized filter at right angles to that, you've really got a very fine filter. If you take sunglasses and take one lens and put it at right angles to the other, it goes even darker. It only lets very straight light through. Now, people have taken jewels and precious stones and cut a very thin slice for microscopic purposes and then shone cross-polarized light through them to see what happens, to put it very crudely, what happens to these precious stones in pure light. And one of two entirely different things happens with every jewel. The technical term, to give you a bit of science for a moment, is anisotropic jewels and isotropic jewels. Now what happens is this. Some jewels in pure light Whatever their color to begin with, they may be red, blue, or green, turn into all the colors of the rainbow and the most fantastic patterns. Other precious stones in pure light lose all their color, just go black, look like a lump of coal dust. And it's only in the last, this generation that people have discovered this unusual property. For example, diamonds in pure light are nothing. Did you get that, ladies? They're Did not even... Hear that? Diamonds, nothing. nothing. They won't be there. <laughs> no, so make the most of them here. <coughs> Rubies, uh, garnets, just lose everything. Emeralds? No, they keep it. Oh, good. There are other stones that are anisotropic and go into these beautiful colors. Now, here's the fascinating thing. The 12 precious stones that God uses to build the new Jerusalem are all anisotropic. In pure light, they are all far more beautiful. And God doesn't touch the diamonds or the rubies. He doesn't build with them. Now, let's just put on the screen a picture of these stones. Look at the top 12 stones on this picture and you'll see the stones of the New Jerusalem. Look at the four bottom ones at the bottom of the picture and you'll see they're black, no attraction, whatever. Now then, who
Who knew this 2,000 years ago? No scientist knew it. Nobody knew it. John the Apostle writing down the book of Revelation as the Lord dictated it to him, he didn't know. Nobody knew except one person in the entire universe, and he knew, and that was God himself. Where is that written exactly? Revelation 21, right. halfway through, and you'll find all the 12 stones listed there. And you can just imagine from the picture we've seen on the screen how beautiful the new Jerusalem is going to be. Mm. No need for do-it-yourself decoration or changing rooms there. No need. The materials that God uses will be fabulous. From verse 19, 21 right. verse 19. Read them out. Uh, the first foundation was jasper. Yeah. The second, sapphire. The third, chalcedony, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, sardonyx, the sixth, carnelian, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, chrysoprase, chrysoprase. the eleventh, jacinth, and the twelfth, amethyst. No diamonds, no rubies, no garnets, because they're, an, they're isotropic. Mm. Now, isn't that amazing? To me, that one thing alone would prove that the Bible was inspired by God because nobody could have known this. They didn't know it until our generation. But there it is. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus.